Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today on this hot July summer afternoon here in Memphis, I want to take you back to 2009. That's 11 years ago when Pastor LaSare Bradley Jr. was in town. Elder Bradley is pastor of the Cincinnati Primitive Baptist Church. At the time of this interview, Pastor Bradley had been at his church for 56 years. Today, he's still pastoring 67 years later. He was born in Lexington, Kentucky on May 6, 1935. Elder Bradley is also your teacher on the Baptist Bible Hour, which he started in 1953, 67 years ago. The program is heard each Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. here on this Bot Radio Network station. Part of our conversation deals with the deep darkness that we as Christians sometimes must walk. Let's take you back to that interview now with Pastor Bradley. The Baptist Bible Hour now comes to you under the direction of Elder LaSare Bradley, Jr., pastor of the Cincinnati Primitive Baptist Church. This is LaSare Bradley Jr. inviting you to stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace. The teacher on that program is Elder LaSare Bradley Jr., who has faithfully proclaimed God's Word for how many years now, Pastor? We've finished up 56 years now. We were just getting started. <laughs> You'd already, <laughs> you already had a leap on us in the radio yeah. ministry. Yes, sir. But it's always good, Elder, to have you here to share the relationship with Bot Radio Network and the Baptist Bible Hour has gone on for a long time. That's right. We're always thankful for the opportunity to come and visit with you and thankful for the good response we get from the listeners in this area. It's very encouraging to know that they appreciate solid Bible teaching. Now, you, of course, are the pastor of the Cincinnati Primitive Baptist Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. You have been there for how long? Well, let's see, 51 years. Okay. <laughs> so that's a long time. That's right. Yes, sir. It's awesome for us to be able to sit down with a program host and kind of get a, a feel for their heart and why you do what you do. Kind of like to bring an update because I know recently you were diagnosed uh, with having cancer. Right. Uh, got that word back in January of having prostate cancer. And I have to confess that, um, you know, it's one thing when you're trying to provide biblical comfort for other people. And then when you hear those words, you have cancer, it's kind of a a startling impact that you can't fully anticipate in advance. And uh, I have to admit that I was um, a little more emotional not immediately, but as I thought about it over the next days, you know. But um, certainly the comfort of God's Word is that which sustains us, whatever the affliction or difficulty we encounter. And uh, one of my favorite passages is the expression of the psalmist David when he says, My times are in thy hand. And when we remember that, we, we know that uh, God is the one that's going to have to sustain us, whether uh, we're undergoing surgery treatments or whatever it is. I was scheduled for surgery uh, March the 12th, and then a preacher friend of mine up in the Baltimore area insisted that I get a second opinion from Johns Hopkins Hospital. And after visiting with them, they advised me not to get the surgery. So I'm on what they call a watch and wait program right now of trying to adjust my diet and take some supplements and go back soon for another checkup to see what progress is being made. 
Pastor, I know that folks all the time, as you mentioned, are going through difficulty, tragedy, uh, health reports, as you mentioned, uh, hearing about having cancer, a family member maybe hospitalized for something. You as a pastor are continually having, as you said, to give comfort and provide God's word for a resource of strength and peace. And I appreciate your transparency there because you're human. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, when these uh, situations come to you, you, um, you know, it, it, it well, I've, I've thought about it so many times, even as you, you know, we preach messages about the um, hope of the resurrection and the comfort that we receive when a loved one dies. And we, we get that in our mind. And yet when the death of a loved one occurs, there's a reaction, something that you feel then about the finality of it all that you can't really anticipate in advance. That's when these principles then really have to be made alive by the Spirit of God in our hearts. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, you know, it says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So it's good whether we're talking about the loss of loved ones or particular sickness or affliction we're enduring to know that God has actually provided the words we need. We don't have to grope in the dark like, uh, where where do I find some consolation? He's the God of all comfort. He's provided the information we need in his word to give us the comfort that's needed in a given hour. I heard that Billy Graham a number of years ago was interviewed by Larry King on a talk show, and he was asked the question, do you ever doubt? Have you ever doubted? He was talking about the afterlife, the hope of heaven that Billy Graham has preached for so many years. He told him, he said, yes, I have. You know, there was a period, and he mentioned a number of years ago, that he really started having some strong doubts about everything that he'd been preaching for all these years. Yeah. I guess that does show that the human side of us, that there are those times that we can question God. We realize that we can be honest before God and right. just even tell God, God, I'm having these doubts. Sure, absolutely. And, and we've got examples of that in the Psalms. The question is asked, wilt thou be favorable no more? Is thy mercy clean gone forever? So I think it's an acknowledgment that there are times of deep darkness through which God's people may pass. One of the sad things to me today is that often if a person is having spiritual conflict, they come to the conclusion that medication is the answer. Now, there's a place for medication, but let me tell you, David went through some horrendous times. And he said, one time I'm like the pelican of the wilderness. Another time he said, I'm like the isle of the desert. Now, if somebody came and used those expressions to you next week, you'd say, wait a minute, what's happening here? But David recovered from all of those dark times without the help of modern psychology. He found his help and hope in God and survived it all. We're seeing modern psychology, and as you mentioned, pills, a strong influence, even of those who attend church, even those who have right. a faith in God. I mean, they're just giving in to those type of resources. As you mentioned, Psalms is full of uh, references where David cried out to God. I mean, he was in the mire in the pit and right. sought God and stayed awake night sometimes without sleep. Absolutely. It's a sinking deep mire where there is no standing. And I think some Christians get under the influence of the idea that they must be on the top of the mountain all the time. And that's just not realistic. It's not, it's not the teaching of Scripture. God's, God's people go through terribly dark times. And the good thing about it is to remember that God uses those times to teach us. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now that I've gone through those dark times, I've learned to keep thy word. God teaches us in the midst of our trials and afflictions. We have a tendency during those trials, Pastor, just to to think God doesn't love me anymore. I must be out of his favor because of that. Yeah, the very 
evidence that he deals with us in this way is proof of his love. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receiveth. Again, there's often a misconception in this, uh, very much like it was in the case of Job when he suffered so greatly. And his friends made the assumption that there must be some dark sin that he had not confessed, failing to recognize that God in his sovereignty had a purpose in touching Job's life. Uh, others will argue, say, well, this was all satanic. Well, yes, Satan did attack him, but you have to remember the whole thing started with God. It was God that brought up Job's name and said, have you observed my servant Job? And certainly God wasn't surprised about what was going to transpire. So he obviously had a purpose. And, and Job later said, the hand of God hath touched me. Job wasn't thinking about what Satan had done or what the thieves had done and carrying away his flocks and his herds. He was concerned about his relationship with God. God has touched me. Initially, he said all the right things. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Later, he went through those difficult days of questioning and wondering and wanting a conference with God. But he ultimately was humbled by it and uh, said, you know, I'd heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. Now mine eye seeth thee. And he had the right spirit and outlook, having gone through those dark, difficult days. I was talking with Dr. David Jeremiah, pastor of the Shadow Mountain Community Church out in San Diego. We sat down and were talking, and he, of course, also had been told that he had cancer, has gone through medical treatment, and I believe he's in remission right now and and still going. And sometimes we see folks and we pray for them. We pray for their healing from cancer or other type of illness or sickness. Mm -hmm. We might not see an answered prayer there. Maybe they go ahead and pass on. They die. Mm -hmm. That can sometimes cause us again to question the love of God. Right. And the whole point is that we we cannot understand the ways and workings of God. We know there are times we pray for somebody, God heals them, answers the prayer. At other times, it's not, not his pleasure to do it. And we have to bow in submission to him, knowing that uh, God's will is best. And whatever he does, we have that wonderful promise of Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to a child of God is good in and of itself, but God brings good out of it. We know that his wisdom is above ours. Instead of challenging and questioning it, we bow in submission. Even the words of Jesus said, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Here's a man that's been trying to run from God. And of course, that's an impossibility. So the Lord caught him. He sent a great storm. Here he is in the belly of a great fish, which God had also prepared. And he cries. Somebody might say, well, that's that's not a very good place to pray. Well, Tell you, when you're in deep trouble, it doesn't matter quite where you are, whether you're in the storm, on the ship, in the sea, or in the fish. If your trouble is great enough, you're going to pray. And Jonah prays. And his prayer went all the way from the belly of the fish, went all the way from the sea itself, all the way to heaven and into the very temple of God where the Lord dwells. Now that's encouraging, isn't it? You ever have those days where you feel like I might as well be in the depths of the sea? The storm might as well be raging the way things are falling apart for me. And there might have been a time or two you felt like you were in the whale's belly. But no matter how deep you may plunge amidst the struggles and conflicts of life, there is hope, hope given in Jonah's case to know that the Lord in his holy temple is ready to hear his people when they call on him. 
Pastor, looking at today's generation compared to where it was when you first started preaching, where do you see the church today in such chaos, as some might call it? Well, there's obviously some dramatic differences. Thinking the other day about how in the days of my childhood that uh, churches frequently had two and three week meetings and people would go to church every night and now you uh, you find that people's schedules are so busy you try to have a special meeting for two or three days and it's like you know how can we be expected to be there for all of this in spite of the fact that um, the world with its attractions is taking its toll and Sad to say, there are a lot of people who want just enough involvement in religion to hear something that makes them feel good rather than being correctly instructed by God's Word. Obviously, God is at work all the time, whether we see it or not. One of the encouraging things to me is to see that there are many young families today doing a better job, I think, than even the previous generations as far as teaching their children, bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, disciplining them, giving them the guidance that's necessary. I find a lot of younger people becoming convinced that some of the fluff that's been out there religiously is what it is, just empty and meaningless. And there is a definite return to emphasis on the sovereignty of God recognizing the truth of his greatness and power and the teachings of his sovereign grace. I'm not saying that there's teeming multitudes moving in that direction, but the fact that there's evidence of some of it is encouraging to believe that God is indeed yet doing a work in these troubled times. You know, I heard somebody talking the other day about those who come presenting the message very eloquently. Maybe they look good in their presence or their presentation and the way they present certain teachings, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are proclaiming the Word of God. That's right. Sad, really, to see people get caught up in some of that. They're looking for something that's, um, well, you know, the emphasis in recent years has been so much on self-esteem. If I can feel good about myself, uh, then that's something I want to participate in. Well, there's obviously good portion of God's Word wasn't written with the intent of making you feel good about yourself. It's there to convict you, and as a looking glass in which you may get a clear picture to know you're a sinner, first of all, as far as a person's initial need of salvation, to show that there's nothing good in man, no righteousness that he can present to God. And even after a person has become the recipient of God's grace and been born again, there's still a struggle with the old frailties of human nature. And God's Word is there to give us guidance and convict us. But so often today, you know, people don't want to hear that. I have have people sometimes come for counseling. You sit down and say, well, this isn't my opinion. This is the biblical solution. This is what God's Word says. Well, I don't think that's going to work in my case. Or I tried that and it uh, it didn't work. See, want something that's smooth and easy, but don't want to just take what God has given in His record. Pastor, would you take us inside your prep time for sermons, getting ready to prepare a message. Of course, you have a wealth of experience and ministry years to draw upon. And I guess for some, it could be easy just to go open up a file cabinet of something you might have preached 25 years ago. <laughs> and not that that wouldn't necessarily yeah. be relevant. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Right. No, I understand what you But take saying. us into the process of your preparation and getting a word from God and being able to present it to your people. Well, of course, all during the week, I'm uh, doing some reading and meditating and praying about what I will be speaking on the next weekend. 
And then usually all day Saturday from early in the morning to late at night is set aside totally for the preparation for the next day. Now, a lot of my preaching is expository, so I already know where I'm going. I'm working my way through a book, and I just got to be working on the next section of it. For the last couple of months, I've just been taking selected subjects and haven't haven't um, started another section yet as far as the expository preaching. But it's a um, matter that requires diligent study and a lot of prayer and then the full realization that once we've made the preparation, there's still got to be that blessing when we're in the pulpit for the Lord to um, bless it to flow properly and then to prepare people's hearts to receive it. What is it maybe amazes you in ministry as you look at proclaiming his word and seeing God is alive and he's still working on the heart of man? Well, we've had some experiences at our church recently that have um, indeed been amazing and gratifying to see how God is working in this day. One of the young men in our church conducts a Bible study at the University of Cincinnati. A good many of the ones attending that have been students from other countries from really all over the world. We've had a number of them attend our church. This year, we've had the opportunity to baptize three that were Buddhist and one of the young men in particular, I thought it was interesting. He had been exposed to a lot of different ideas because uh, Buddhism covers many different philosophies. And so when he heard that Jesus Christ made the claim that he arose from the dead, he said, that just startled me. That intrigued me. And he began to do research on it. And finally, he had read enough. He said, you know, I'm convinced that there were all of these witnesses. It's just, evidently, it really happened. It's a fact. And, of course, God was working in his heart. He came to faith in Christ. And uh, it's just a joy wow. to see him today as he feeds on the gospel and delights in the good news of salvation. I know that is exciting. And just to see God use it. I had an opportunity to sit down with a Buddhist one time when we were overseas. And I went into a Buddhist temple just looking. God opened up an opportunity for conversation. And so all these various Buddhas in the temple, mm-hmm. this person was giving me kind of a tour, explaining to me different aspects of it, and said that this Buddha right here represented cleansing, and they could cleanse your sins, but not completely, <laughs> you know? So it seems like sometimes the world and its religion and philosophy has things that kind of mimic or maybe get close to the truth, but not quite there. Yeah, that's that's right. Another one of the uh, young lady that was a Buddhist that we baptized, she said uh, she really struggled. Once she kind of got the concept of what we were trying to preach, she just could not grasp the thought of grace. Every, everything that she'd ever been taught, you had to pay for what you got. And just the idea that salvation was free, that it was by the grace of God. It didn't depend at all on her, but on what Christ did. And I well remember the Sunday she came to me after service and the tears were just streaming down her face. And she said, I saw it today. It finally came to me. I saw what you're talking about. And you just delight to know that God's Spirit has done that work to bless somebody to receive it. Wow, Pastor, that is a good word. <laughs> As you are 74 years old now, yes, sir. and I know that your family and your congregation and those that you've ministered to around the world through the Baptist Bible Hour broadcast want to see you here for a long time to be able to continue your ministry. But in the season of life that you're in right now, as you look back and look at generations that are coming up, What word would you give to young pastors? I would encourage them to be diligent in the study of God's Word. It's it's easy when there are a lot of 
duties to perform, a lot of distractions to get so busy in activities that are good. There's nothing wrong with them, but there can be a tendency to neglect diligent study of the Word of God. And that's so vital because the more the preacher himself continues to grow in the knowledge of God's Word and delight in it and finds joy in it in his own heart, the more effective he's going to be, whether he's preaching it from the pulpit or applying it directly to individuals in a counseling session or whatever form. So I I just, I put that as a high priority. How about your staff and those who assist you, whether it be an associate or other members that are called to a ministry position under your leadership? What do you look for for those who serve with you? Well, I certainly look for that, that um, somebody is diligent in their study of God's Word, uh, has complete confidence in its authority and puts emphasis upon it. And, of course, to see that they have a close personal walk with Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what their motives are all about, to glorify and honor him. You know, Pastor, also, when we look at uh, different denominations and, of course, Baptist, there's a lot of various denominations, whether it be Southern Baptist or Northern Baptist. And there's this (laughs) variety of of Baptists, and I can't even name them all in our time together. But Primitive Baptist, we've talked about this before. Tell us what it means to be Primitive Baptist. Well, some people, of course, a little uh, taken back by the word. Uh, when we come to your church, are you going to have um, air conditioning or, <laughs> or, you know, primitive? Is it going to be all uh, from a day? Are you going to sit on a rock or something? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> and uh, from our perspective, the word simply means first or original. So we, we still hold to the principles that Baptists as a people have believed from years gone by. The um, oldest primitive Baptist church in America is Welsh Tract Church, a church that actually the membership moved from Wales to the United States. And that church, along with a few others, were original members of the Philadelphia Association and adopted the Philadelphia Confession, which was the essence of the London uh, Confession of Faith. And so we have continued through the years to put emphasis on the truths of God's sovereignty, the truths of his electing grace, his purpose in predestinating a people to be conformed to the image of Christ. And when the division came back in the early 1800s in the Baptist family, those that took another route moved farther and farther away from those doctrines. And it's a joy to us today to see that there's a movement among them to return to these doctrines and to find the fact when I first started preaching it, I was told by some, well, you're, you're preaching a, a new doctrine, which I knew it wasn't new because I was finding it in the Word of God, but it was gratifying to me to go to the historical society in the city of Cincinnati and find that the first church of the Northwest Territory, even before Ohio was a state, was Old Columbia Church, and the Articles of Faith were exactly what I was preaching, that believed that the God that we worship is sovereign. He works all things according to the counsel of his own will. He's not defeated. He's not disappointed. He's not frustrated. He's on the throne. He is to be worshiped. And when we trust him, we can have confidence as we move forward in life, believing and knowing that salvation is not by human effort, not based on free will, but entirely by the grace of God through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Let me throw a couple words out at you and just kind of define what you believe these words mean in the life of a believer. Worship. Worship, I think, involves a lot of things. The first thought that people generally have is going to a worship service, which 
is indeed a part of it. When we assemble, we're worshiping God. When we sing his praises, when we, uh, as a corporate group, are joining our hearts together in prayer, when we uh, listen to the word, when we give, giving is a part of our worship. And worship is something that we should be involved with every day on an individual basis as we seek God, seek to honor him, uh, desiring to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ. It's in this way that we are worshiping him. Trust. Trust is to have complete confidence in God, in his promises, to know that God cannot lie. So when he says something, he means it, and we can rely on it. I, I sometimes talk to people who are struggling with a sense of guilt. I say, all right, here's the promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They say, but I don't feel forgiven. I said, that text doesn't have anything to say about how you feel. It has to do with the faithfulness of God. So if you trust him, you believe that he meant what he said. The Baptist Bible Hour has been on the radio for a number of years. Bot Radio Network is pleased to be a partner associating with your ministry to broadcast the teaching of the Baptist Bible Hour. What does it mean to you to not only be a pastor, but to have a radio ministry that has been on for so long and has had a worldwide impact? Well, it's um, very humbling in many ways and certainly that for which I'm thankful when people will come up to me when I'm out traveling and filling speaking appointments across the country and somebody will come and say well the Baptist Bible Hour has been a part of my life all my life I remember it from earliest childhood and tell me about the memories that they've had from hearing it at various times and what it's meant to them and, and often there'll be somebody that'll say, you know, I've listened to you for 50 years. I never did write you a letter. Never. This is my first opportunity to tell you, but I, I want to tell you how God has used it in my life. Indeed, thankful that we have such an opportunity. Pastor is a new believer in Christ, and one of my first jobs in a radio station, Sunday mornings was my air shift, and I had to get up real early to go turn the transmitter on at 5 a.m., <laughs> opening of the broadcast day. And I remember one of the very first programs I used to put on on the reel to reel was the Baptist Bible Hour. And so uh, you even ministered to me in those early years of my faith and and even those early years of broadcasting, which have been for a number of years, too. So I'm so thankful that we could get together here with our 640 AM friends and uh, welcome again, Elder LaSare Bradley Jr., your Bible teacher on the Baptist Bible Hour. Pastor, we love you, and we're so thankful that you could be here today. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your invitation to come. Thank you for all your encouragement.